501 Not a problem. I hate all politicians. So. <laughs> what am, I, am I just signing? Yeah, yeah, just signing. He explicitly says don't vote for anyone ever. Got it. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, we are rolling into another episode of the Candace Owens Show. What other podcasts do you guys listen to? I have recently gotten into listening to a person that my manager recommended and said, he's a bit like an angry dad, you know? <laughs> he tells you things and you're kind of like, oh, I kind of know that's true, but I don't want to hear it. Um, really great podcaster. Definitely go listen if you haven't. I'm very excited to have Matt Walsh. Welcome to the Candace Owens Show. Thanks for having me. Angry dad, I like that. Yeah, yeah. You know, because you do these things where you're like, you know, you don't want to hear it, but then you listen to it and you're like, oh, he kind of has a point with that. So it's just like a dad. That's a, my kid, angry. I know my kids know how you feel, I'm sure. I'm <laughs> yeah. It's for like, you know, your dad's kind of right about things, but you don't really want to hear it. Yeah. Um, and I was, I was actually very excited to have you on my show. We pitched it a really long time ago and for whatever reason thought you lived in Canada. And then you and I had our, like, we were exchanging, uh, like, not even words, you we weren't even in an argument, but we were talking about debating the coronavirus right. scare. And when coronavirus was going on, uh, I had kind of assembled in my head an army of people that I just knew would not take the bait. And I was like, Michael knows. I need, to, I need him to stay on the side of sanity. He cannot be in a bunker. Matt Walsh, we need him on the side of sanity. And we had you there, and you were chill, and then you kind of went the other way and said, maybe maybe this is really bad, and then shifted the other way. Yeah. yeah what I was did. your kind of, what was your thinking there? Um, it was an overcorrection, because when, when this first started, well, we first started hearing about the coronavirus, you know, in, I don't know, January or February. And uh, my first reaction was, this is going to be like, you remember the Ebola scare a few years ago? There's one guy here with Ebola, and everybody was freaking out. So... I thought it would be something like that where just nobody would get it and it would be uh, kind of like what Trump said originally, that five people have it and that's going to be it. Um, and I, that's what I thought. And that, of course, turned out not to be correct. So I think the issue is I'm not used to being wrong. I'm, I'm right so often. <laughs> I, was, I was wrong about something. I way overcorrected. Um, but then it didn't take me long to see that this is, uh, that this is a, a media uh, you know, creation in a lot of ways, especially once they started arresting pastors. That was, if there was a wake-up moment for me, it was definitely that. And then the other wake-up moment was when, you know, I started talking about that and complaining about it, and so many so-called conservative Christians were okay with it. And I, I just thought, this is, I mean, this is like what we've been worried about, is a moment like this, when they actually shut down the churches at gunpoint, and they're doing it now, and uh, you've got a lot of conservatives that are just okay with it. I, I, that I don't get at all. Yeah, you know, so I um I was reading there's there's this economist. Um I actually don't know if he's legally considered an economist, but uh he's a, a financial advisor and he writes this um uh it's it's called Gav Gavin Call Research. His name is Louis Gav and it's you subscribe to it and he kind of makes an assessment and he's really kind of looking at the markets and what will happen, but early on he had written something and it was so spot on and he was like it this is going to be one of three scenarios. My money is on number 3 and number 3 was that coronavirus is going to be the first ever social media pandemic. And I thought that was so well said, where it's like, you know, people who know nothing spread a bunch of information that is inaccurate. Everybody freaks out. And then what he was predicting was that the government would have to respond to the fact that the people were freaking out over yeah. what they were learning on social media, not the actual virus itself. Um, and it's an interesting assessment because I do in many ways feel that our kind of world of social media, and I know that I sound super hypocritical saying that, but has in and of itself become the virus, uh, you know, where people take everything so seriously. And then the government has to say, how do I calm down everybody in society who thinks that their grandmother is going to die? 
Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that, yeah, the internet. I, I, I feel the same way. The internet is terrible. It's it's a it's a blight on mankind, and I make my <laughs> living on it. But I say I'm, I say this all the time that while it's here, I'm going to try to make the best of it. But if there was some sort of um, solar flare and it, it kicked, it, it knocked out the internet across the world, I think we'd be much better off for that. I would be screwed because I can't do anything besides just give my opinion on things. But so I, yeah, I, I do feel that way. But although, of course, also the coronavirus. Uh, that's why I say I was wrong originally. That it is. It is a serious illness. I don't think you or I would deny that. Um, but we have to find a way to deal with a serious illness without shutting down society and putting 40 million people out of work. Right. And I think a lot of the comparisons with the flu and everything turned out to be pretty pretty spot on. It's, it's obviously not exactly the same thing as the flu, but it is in the sense that it's a communicable disease that kills tens of thousands of people. We're probably going to always have it with us in one form or another. And you just have to figure out how to live your life. Right. But that's a really hard, you know, there's, we live in an age where you're not allowed to speak with any nuance. So once you say something like, look, we got to learn how to live with this. Um, we're you're mortal. a grandma killer. We're, yeah, we're not going to, we're not going to live forever. We're mortal beings. You know, when you say stuff like that, and people accuse you of being a nihilist and suicidal. And that was bizarre, by the way. Like I actually felt at that moment when I was like, Hey, so they're saying the average age, I think at the time it was uh, Italy, the average age when they assessed everything of people that were dying was 82. And I was like, I'd just like to remind everybody that the average life expectancy today is 76. And they were like, oh, like, yeah. how could you say this? You're saying you want people to die. No, I'm saying that like if you make it to 82 years old, like that's you're on par with you know, the, there's yeah. a lot of other things that can take you out. Uh, you know, people don't tend to live to be 100 years old. I'm not saying that I don't hope one day everybody gets to live to be 150, but you do kind of have to grapple with reality at some point and realize that, you know, death does happen. Yeah. And if you are able to live a long, beautiful life, uh, you know, great, that's something to celebrate. But I do think we're kind of fearful to even talk about death now in this society. We are. Yeah, I think that's true. I, I uh, Right before all the pandemic stuff started, I read a book called... Um, the Denial of Death, and uh, I'm trying to remember the guy who wrote it, um, but it was, it was written a few, several decades ago. Ironically, the man who wrote it after it was published shortly after that, he won a Pulitzer, but he died. I uh, wasn't around to, to receive it. But anyway, his, his uh, theory is that modern society basically is set up to, uh, to deny death, to, to insulate us from the reality of death, and every, most of the things we do we just do in order to stop ourselves from thinking about death and to avoid it, even though it's unavoidable in the end. Modern Western society. Modern Western society, yeah. I think this is not as, not as true in some cultures, but in this culture it is. And we saw that a lot with this. And I, you know, the point you made about the older people, it's people freak out about that. But, of course, everyone at some level agrees anyway. We, we, all, we all agree that it's a very different thing. When you've got people in their 80s dying, it's very different than when you've got children dying. That would have been, to me, if children yeah. were dying, I would have been like... Shut down society forever. I mean, me too, yeah. you know, and obviously I'm being a bit hyperbolic here, but that to me is scary. When healthy kids start dying of something, then you go, something's very wrong because that's unnatural, right? You're going against something that's natural. But 82-year-olds and, and people that are in their mid-80s dying, I'm not saying it's not sad. Death is always sad, but it's not, it's not an abnormality. And it's not okay to say that. And it is something to do with the West. You look at this culture. you got girls... Botox, lip injections, everyone wants to be young forever. You've got the 70 year olds with their faces, you know, that yeah. they've had 18 facelifts. And we, we do have something um, that, that's wrong with our society that the East is getting right. And, and I want to be careful there. I'm not saying I agree that we should be running our country like, you know, like, uh, like 
Africa, rather, I guess is a good continent to talk about because they are just really plugged in to the fact that life is not forever. I mean, Mm -hmm. totally different mentality in Africa than we have here in America. Yeah, but even in America, when you look at the slogans that are often popular, uh, I guess the kids these days aren't saying YOLO anymore, but they used to. You only only live once. That sort of thing. I mean, there's there's always been in the West that's been a a slogan, uh, something like that. Um, But then... And I think there's, that's actually true. If you could actually live that way, now you don't want to be reckless, but if you could actually live with that in mind all the time, I think you'll live a fulfilling life. But when a push comes to shove and there's actually, you're actually faced with the reality of your own mortality, I think a lot of people want to pretend that, uh, you know, that they're going to live forever. Right. And I think, you know, one of the things that I th- has definitely helped me just thinking about the world in a different context has been traveling. And I think when you look at a lot of the kids today in America, they don't leave America ever. Um, and, and, and there's a, a remarkable privilege about that, that actually, and that privilege actually turns into something bad down the line. And what I mean by that is talking about Africa, my husband spends a lot of time in the continent, he hunts. Um, and it's interesting when I was watching videos, we watched tons of videos from like people in Africa that make videos and t- were talking about coronavirus. And they were quite literally mocking, you know, Americans saying, you know, coronavirus is for the people, <laughs> uh, you know, that go skiing in, in July in Italy, like, you know, like just ridiculous things. And to them, and this is a phrase that actually I'll give credit to Don Trump Jr. for saying to me, uh, in America, we have this thing where we want to give, you know, first world solutions to third world problems. So it's a reason why a lot of times when Americans go over to Africa and they try to do something really great, like I'm going to build a hospital in Malawi, right? And, and mm. we're really going to help them. And then they leave. And two weeks later, the Africans have stolen out all of the pipes and they're trying to sell the individual objects that are in the hospitals. Uh, because to them today means more than thinking about down the line. Their whole mentality is different. You know, a dollar today means more than thinking about a dollar five years down the line. Um, and and so their live in the now is so different than the culture that we fostered in the West where it's like, all we can think about is how can we live forever? How can we make sure grandma can live forever? And I think we just need a little bit of dose with reality and a little more travel uh, for the youth generation especially. Yeah, I, I have not traveled at all, so I can't really, I can't. <laughs> I've traveled around. I've seen most of the states, so I figure I'll start there and then go and then go elsewhere. But uh, yeah, I, I, I think that there's. We also see this with the protests now that that people don't. If you could take a global perspective, but also a historical perspective, you would realize that if you live in the United States in the year 2020, you are most likely more comfortable, freer. You live a more luxurious life than almost anyone who has ever lived anywhere ever. Um, which doesn't mean that you should just accept injustice when you see it, but it does mean that there should be a certain level of gratitude and uh, just trying to burn things down for no reason doesn't make a lot of sense when you, when you look at it from that perspective. I guess I'm jumping ahead on topics, but that's... No, you're yeah, right. Yeah. So it, it, we'll, we'll actually talk about that. So let's just talk about the East. Let's compare a different strategy. Let's talk about China and Iran, and they actually censor their internet. You know, you can't be on you know Instagram in Iran and expect to see Instagram in America. Do you think that they're, that some of that works? Not allowing Facebook, not allowing social media, and talking about how much we think that it's transformed our culture. Does some of that work? Depends on what you mean. Work to do what? I guess is the question. What 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 are you intending to do? I, I uh, the government censoring social media, I would not be in favor of at all. Uh, mainly because I just don't trust. You know, I, I I think the American attitude is to have a really healthy skepticism of the government, and you, right. just, you just don't trust it with a lot of power. Even if there are things that you think are worth doing uh, and that theoretically, ideally, the government maybe could do, you have to think, do I really trust the government with that power, the power that would be required for them to carry out whatever that agenda is? So social media, um, 
I think it works in the sense of if you want to if you want to contain information like they do in a in a place like communist China. But I'm you know if you want to talk about censorship things like uh, pornography. Now I've gotten a lot of trouble for advocating actual government measures to deal with pornography. I'm in favor of that. So I do think that they're. It's not that we never give the government power, but we have to be very careful about when we do it. And is it is it worth the cost? Right. It's. I mean, it's interesting. I'm. I'm not. I'm not saying I'm for it. I'm not saying I would support it. I, I actually wouldn't support it if the government said, you can't have this, you can't have that. But I'm just wondering if it works long time. Does it help people develop? And when I'm thinking about that, I'm talking about case in point Instagram. I think Instagram is probably the most cancerous platform um, that's been built out of all of them. When I see the debauchery that is on Instagram, the women, the boobs out, the tits out, thirst trap is the hashtag. You put your butt in a picture. Um, and then you've got these- I don't know what any of this is that thirst, you're saying. Hashtag yeah. thirst trap. Matt, Th you don't know hashtag thirst trap? Thirst trap. No. <laughs> what is it? Is that? No, it's it's literally it's like a desert. You're it, trapped it, in the desert. You're thirsty. I cringe when I look at some of these hashtags that go viral, but this is it. I mean, it's the girls say thirst trap, which means they're going to show you a like they're basically going to be nude and you're thirsty. So they're going to trap you and you're going to like this photo. That's a that's a hashtag thirst trap. Okay. So this is the stuff that is. I'm like a 75 year old man <laughs> explaining, explaining the internet to me. Listen, Grandpa Walsh. Okay. Yeah. And you look at that and then you look at these young women who have so many, you know, insecurity issues and girls that want to get their boobs and their butts done when they're 15 years old. And I think this is because of this is because of social media. We did this, right? So then you go, okay, well, think of the flip side. What if the government never allowed this? Would America be a better society or worse society if it wasn't allowed? And I'm against the government doing it too. So I'm just yeah. kind of thinking I guess, here. I guess my answer would be kind of what I said before. If if this never existed. Mm. Or if some other event, like an astronomical event, were to knock it out, then I would say we'd be a lot better off without the Instagram and the thirst traps and everything else, <laughs> whatever that is. But we wouldn't be better off with the government doing it for, for, because of the tyranny that would, come, that would inevitably come with it. But right. I, I do absolutely believe that you know, we're raising a generation of kids who, who you know, the average, the average American spends 10 hours a day looking at media. Uh, for kids, it's even more than that. I mean, th th this really is their life. Their entire life is contained in this little box that they carry around in their pocket. And so you, you sound like an old fogey complaining and say, oh, back in my day, we were up running around in the woods. But that's true. I mean, back in, in not just my day, but everyone's day up until like right now, you spent your childhood out running in the woods and doing stuff like that. Um, and kids just don't do that anymore. Their entire life is is this. And that's not a human existence. That's like some sort of kind of cyborg half-human, half-machine existence that um, I certainly want to keep my kids from as much as I can. Right. And I agree with that. And, you know, I, I used to nanny when I was in college and the young woman that I, now young woman that I used to nanny for, she was three at the time, but her mother has been, she was so against allowing her to get a cell phone, still does not allow her to have Instagram. And she's, you know, 15 now. And I said, this is great, great policy. But then when she didn't let her have a cell phone, she said she was actually forcing her child to be a loser in school because that's how all the kids talk to each other. So she like literally was being left out because they're spending all their days texting each other, let's meet up at the mall, let's do this, let's do that. None of them want to pick up the phone and call her house phone. That's very old school, right? And yeah. say, can I speak to so-and-so? Um, so eventually her mother gave in on the cell phone, but didn't give in on the social media. So it's interesting because it's sort of like there's a Louis C. Casket about that when all the other idiot kids are doing it, right? Do you have to let your kid do it? Yeah, that it's the op. That's when I was a, a kid. Again, the, the the classic thing from your parent was if your if your friends are jumping off a bridge, are you going to do it too? Yeah. Which of course the answer is yes, because jumping <laughs> off bridges is a lot of fun. I mean, but um, 
now to have it boggles my mind as a parent to hear parents say and i hear the same thing mm. that why well, i don't want my kids to be left out i don't want them to be losers what? well how is that your priority as a parent your priority as a parent should be I want my kid to be a good person i want them to live a fulfilling and happy life i want them to be well adjusted i want them to learn life skills i mean that's what you should be worried about uh not do they have are they are they plugged in with their peers i'm not saying we should keep them in a bubble but necessarily, although I don't see there's anything wrong with that either necessarily, but, <laughs> um, but that's just, it should, especially from the perspective of an adult. And you know that, I mean, I look back at the stuff I was worried about as a kid and I see how dumb it was. But um, it felt real at the time. It felt real at the time. It was but so that's real. So real. And it is real as a kid, but that's why as the adult, you have to be the calming influence with the, with the more mature perspective explaining that I know this is real. These are your emotions, but there are things that are more important than this. And that's what you should be doing. You shouldn't be the, the voice saying to your kid, oh, you got to do this or you'll be a loser. What? That's that's crazy to me. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I get, I was, I was empathetic to the dilemma because I can imagine what it's like when your kid's coming home and they're not getting invited to hang out or go to the mall, whatever it is, you know, little girls do at 15, 13, 14 years old um, and feeling like your kid's being left out and they're upset and they're crying because I do think that kids go through, to them, it just it's, it's a much more raw emotional experience than when you get older, it kind of like, it levels out and you go, okay, I guess I'm, you know, it isn't the end of the world that Johnny doesn't like me back sort of a thing. Um, so yeah. I, I can see that it's hard for parents. It's, it's hard to find direction, but I'm strongly against social media uh, for children. I feel like I'm blessed because Facebook and Twitter and all that stuff took off just at the end of me uh, in high school. And, and so I got to actually grow up and be a kid first, you know, so it yeah. was, I got to grow up, be outside, be a kid, not be worried about what I look like, be gross, have braces, um, and not worried, do I look like this person that's on Instagram? Yeah, not to mention, you know, you weren't in middle school regurgitating all of your, vomiting all of your thoughts onto the internet to permanently live there forever. I can only imagine if, you know, if the 12 year old me had my ideas out there permanently You'd that you could so go canceled. Find, right. I, I'm, I'm canceled already all the time. So, so that would just make it worse. But uh, yeah, and I do, and I, I do emphasize, em, empathize with the uh, dilemma of parents. It's a little easier for me right now, I, I acknowledge, because my kids are younger. But um, the when you when you let them get plugged into the internet, it just makes it worse. Because the problem is, you send kids to public school, they're they're immersed in in this peer culture every single day for eight hours a day, five days a week, nine months a year for the for twelve, thirteen years, um, and then they come home. And it used to be they came home and, okay, now they're home. And, and now at least you could try to recenter them again and get them focused on things that matter. But now they come home and they're still in that peer environment, that peer culture. They can never escape it because they carry it around in their pocket all the time. And so that becomes the only thing they care about. And so when you see the suicide rate among kids, um, which is just, it's unheard of to have all these suicide, kids mm -hmm. killing themselves is, is crazy. I mean, it's, it's unheard of. It's, it's, this didn't used to happen. It really didn't. Um, why is that? It's not that sometimes conservatives will say, oh, kids these days are a bunch of pansies. That's not it at all. Okay. Every kid is emotionally vulnerable. I and mean, we all were. The difference is that what they care about because they're in this culture all the time, what they get their identity from the their affirmation from their peers, um, and they can never escape it. So if they don't get that affirmation, then they feel like there's no, there's no point in living. This is my whole life. Um, and you know, I'm not saying that taking the smartphone away will prevent all of that, but I think it could go a long way to, you know, having a kid with healthier 
you know, priorities. Right. And it's, it's just a healthier self-image. I mean, they, they're caring about things, caring about what you look like when you're 11 years old. When I read these stories of 11-year-olds uh, killing themselves over Snapchat because somebody had a picture of them doing something stupid on Snapchat and it sent around the whole school, you know, because yeah. they're all on Snapchat. And then suddenly this person feels like they're never going to escape this. And you know what's sad is that person's partially right because the internet is forever. And that's the danger is I, I don't think people realize that, you know, when you hand your kid a, a a smartphone, you're handing them a weapon, um, and a weapon that could destroy them, right? And not because of them, because everybody grows up. We've all said stupid stuff. I wish we could have uh, access to the Twitter that didn't exist when half of these people that are so judgmental of other people, right? Oh, this is a horrible, irredeemable individual because 12 years ago he tweeted this. And I'm like, you're escaping here because you didn't have, Twitter wasn't around when you were probably a total jerk. Everybody goes through a jerk phase. Everybody says jerk things. You're experimenting with being a jerk human being, a good human being, and then you kind of you know, become an adult and you're like, all right, I kind of figured this thing out. And we're taking that away from children. We're taking away the ability to grow up and to go through all of those awkward pains. Yeah. And you also go through a phase, uh, especially I think as a, girls do too, I'm sure, but especially as guys, where your whole sense of humor is just to say the most awful thing you can, <laughs> uh, especially to your friends. And I mean, actually, guys never really actually I totally outgrow that. But um, <laughs> I haven't totally outgrown it. But when you're, you know, when you're a teenager and you're in college age, it's it's that's all it is. And so, yeah, I mean, pe these people get canceled because something comes out that they said when they were 19 or 20 or something. And it's exactly right. All of these grown men acting scandalized by that. Yeah, sure. I mean, we, we know the kind of things. If you were a normal guy, you said a lot of terrible stuff in your in back in your day. Maybe you still do, but you just fortunately, it was never recorded for posterity. And now we have today uh, social gangs, a new type of gang, um, people that pop up and they deliver justice, social justice, um, and they find out the people that are irredeemable in society, the statues that are irredeemable in society. Uh, you know, you've got Antifa, you've got Black Lives Matter, and they are out to correct the wrongs of the world. I'm just wondering, like, I just want to actually meet one person Antifa and then find out who their parents are and really sit down to have a dialogue with how does your child end up in Antifa? Uh, you know, I mean, I, I think two things I would say. One is I'm always hesitant to immediately blame the parents. Because you're a parent. Because I am a parent. I'm not one, so I blame the parents. Yeah, well, it's, it's, so it's, it's a little self-serving, I guess, <laughs> when I'm saying, hey, hold on, let's not blame the parents. What if my kid becomes Antifa? Who knows? It seems <laughs> unlikely, but who knows? Um, but I, you, you do recognize as a parent that it's actually a little scary that your, your child is a whole other person and they've got their own inner life and you can't control it. They can really do whatever they want when, when they leave the house anyway. Um, and you could be a great parent and end up, end up with a horrible kid. It can happen. Uh, I don't think it's likely, but it can happen. So that's the first thing. But usually in most cases, I think the, with parents, um, well, look, our, a lot of these Antifa, they're about our age. Uh, I, don't, I think you're younger than me, but um, they're about our age. And I, rem you know, I remember growing up and a lot of my friends, they came home from school to an empty house, um, a house with one parent and the other parent lived across town. And they just didn't have any uh, emotionally chaotic and, and homes, uh, neglect going on, emotional neglect at least. And so your kid ends up rebelling and he doesn't you know there's a lot of confusion he doesn't really know what he wants to do in life and um, he's angry i think a lot of these antifa people they're angry i mean i said before how we live and we're all 
more comfortable and have more luxury than almost anyone who's ever lived. How could you be so angry all the time? Well, I think a lot of these people are angry. They say they're angry at the system, burn down the system. It's not the system they're angry at, it's their parents. They're, it's their, they're angry at how they were raised, they're angry, but they don't know where to direct that. Um, and so instead they talk about the system and we have to get rid of the nuclear family. Uh, no, the nuclear family is great. It's just that you didn't, you never experienced it. Um, you're blaming the nuclear family for something that when your problem was that you didn't have it. Mm, so. mm. You know, I, I kind of, the reason why I kind of put a lot of it on the parents or emphasize that is just because I know so many people that I went to school with, so many people uh, that I'm still friends with on Facebook and maybe were never friends, but knew that that person probably shouldn't have become a parent, right? <laughs> and maybe they got better, I don't know, but a lot of people then become parents um, and you have to wonder if these were their idea, this was their idea system and their beliefs. Um, and you see that even on your Facebook wall where I'm like, you are 35 years old, you should not be posting this garbage um, on Facebook and when you see pictures of parents who make their four-year-olds wear things like I know that my privilege is a problem mm -hmm. right that can't be good conditioning like I can't imagine that that's good conditioning or case in point uh, the day that Donald Trump won and there were all of those things online of five-year-old girls crying and saying that they didn't think they could be anything because Hillary didn't win I'm like that's not Donald Trump didn't do that to your daughter yeah, well, you those, did that to your daughter. Those right? are also those are also <laughs> lies too. I mean, they, most of those parents. I have a five year old. Um, they don't care. Yeah, they they they're not they don't know what the hell's going on in the news. <laughs> they're not plugged into that. So I, most of that stuff I just don't believe. But when they yeah when they put their kids on you know when they have their kid hold a sign and they use them as a prop, that's very real. And you know when a, a child is being used as a prop, that's a child that's not being raised right. I'm not even as worried as much. I'm not as worried about your ideology or your politics as a, you know, when it comes to being a parent, I think you could have pretty much any ideology or politics and be a good parent. Uh, there's, there's some ideologies that will interfere more with it, but what makes you a good parent? Do you love your kid? I mean, do you really love your kid self-sacrificially? Are you, are you actually interested in, in your child being a good person for their own sake? Um, and are you worried about them or are you thinking of everything through your own, through your own lens? You mm -hmm. know, um, and if 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 you're if that's how you're operating as a parent, then I think you'll you'll do a fine job, and your kids will turn out fine. The problem is that you know a lot of these parents that are using their kids as p political props and everything, uh, for them it's it's all about them. It's not about the kid. Right. You know. Yeah. Um, the 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 kid is just a something that fits into what they're doing already. They're not going to change much for the sake of the child. And really, no matter what your politics are, if that's how you're parenting, it's not going to work out. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on um, Black Lives Matter? Unfiltered uh, Matt Walsh thoughts. Well, I, it's a, I, I, I don't understand why Antifa gets gets all of the the grief from conservatives these days. While while we seem to leave Black Lives Matter alone, I'm being a little bit intentionally naive. I do understand. I know why they do it mm -hmm. because they're afraid of being called racist. Um, but we know Antifa is an extremist group, a domestic terrorist group. I agree with that classification from Trump. I would put Black Lives Matter very close to that same camp. I think it's a it's a violent group from its very inception. I mean, Black Lives Matter came along, and then we had Ferguson riots, Baltimore riots. Five police officers were killed in Dallas at a BLM rally. Um, and now we have this round of riots yet again. So this t seems to me to be a movement that was born in violence, has been violent from the beginning. And then when you look at what they actually say, what they profess, go to their website. Um, all these idiot Republicans like Mitt Romney that are out marching and saying Black Lives Matter. Can we stop calling him a Republican? Can we just yeah. stop doing that right now? Well, I, you know what? I'm fine calling him a Republican. I wouldn't call him a conservative, but Republican, yeah, because I think he's, he is, he's actually, this is exactly what the Republican Party is. Mm. Uh, but go, 
you really do black lives you're going to endorse black lives matter look at what their website look at what they have to say they're they're talking about disrupting the nuclear family mitt is that is that what you want to do you want to disrupt the nuclear family uh they're worried about you know breaking down heteronormative thinking whatever the hell that is um and they they think that white supremacy is i think they had something on their website last i checked white supremacy is killing black people in this country every day every day people are dying black people are dying at the hands of white supremacists this is just this is just delusional nonsense um it's extremist so that's what black lives matter it's a radical extremist group and i believe a violent group that's 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 my answer that's unfiltered well i think i think okay to go back to what you just said because you brought up an important point that conservatives won't attack it and allow it to go on. This has actually been one of my most, I find this to be so frustrating about the conservative movement is I, I it's not just Black Lives Matter. Conservatives are afraid. I, I think that, you know, what the left did brilliantly was they just started, it, they used like the Overton window, right, where they just started calling everybody an extremist. You're either a literally Hitler, a racist, a sexist, a misogynist, so that when these things come up that are so obviously BS, conservatives just, they won't come out. They'll, they'll, they'll wait until it's safe to say something. What I mean by that is I always say, it's like the scene in The Wizard of Oz when the house lands on the witch and then like conservatives are like the little munchkins that come out, you know, like very slowly. Like, is it, is it dead? That's yes, good. I really didn't like that Me Too movement. I knew that was bad. And I'm like, guys, you knew it was, you, you guys, you all have thinking brains, right? And I mean, I remember, I will never forget the fire that I received when I was the first person, Me Too started training and I was like, hold up a second. You just are tweeting that this person did something and now everyone's going and saying, go fire that person. That's not how due process works. So I, this is not the way this should work. And the left and the right were like, oh, how could Candace Owens say, how could Candace Owens say due process should be involved and we shouldn't be firing a bunch of men because a Twitter hashtag started trending and someone was like, yeah, happened to me too. Bobby, you know, said something sexy to me in the, <laughs> in the room and people were getting fired. And, yeah. and then once it, we got to Brett Kavanaugh, six months later is when conservatives were like, I'm taking a stand on this, but they knew earlier. They knew way before that, but because it was about rape, right? Because it was about sexual assault, they were too afraid because they didn't want to, you know, step into the stereotype which was invented by the left that, you know, people on the right don't care about, you know, uh, you know, women, don't care about gay people, don't care about uh, human rights issues whatsoever. Yeah, I yeah, I think that first of all that Wizard of Oz and imagery is pretty good. I might steal that. That's a good one. Um <laughs> I, I think that's exactly what what is done, and they, and and you know a lot of conservatives get credit for being telling it like it is, and and you know going up against the media narrative when they do exactly what you're talking about. And maybe maybe people who aren't in you know the, the media business don't always notice it, but I think we know the ones who do that. Um, we know the game that they're playing, and a lot of times they get away with it. But I mean, we think of so many examples. Jesse Smollett, I think, is another one. I mean, there are a lot of conservatives. For weeks, we're saying, let's wait for all the facts to come out. But really, it's like, come on. You you, you can't see that story and immediately know that it's BS. Come on. <laughs> it took me three seconds. And my reason was that there is no black person in the world that goes out during a polar vortex to get a sandwich. Bucky, we just don't do it. We don't like the cold. It's just not for us, right? So I took a cold triangle. I said, what were the story? I'm sorry. He's black, right? Was he out in a polar? No, 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 no. This absolutely did not happen in let, Chicago. It's just it couldn't. It couldn't be possible, you know. And let me, let me uh, on uh, on the part still of holding the sandwich on the part of white people. I I don't know any white people that would go out at two a.m. in thirty degrees, negative thirty degrees to get to go to Subway of all places. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, mean, I know. Order in. Have you ever heard of Uber Eats or something? Right, that's um, what I'm saying. I mean, there was just none of it made any sense. A polar yeah. vortex in Chicago of all places, like right. it's just. 
Um, and then and you've got two racist uh, MAGA people that are just hanging out on the sidewalk in, in native. With the rope, who does? What are you right. doing with a lasso and in the West? And like bleach. bleach. What were you? What was the plan here with lasso and bleach? Yeah. Actually, what I, we never even explored that. What was the plan with lasso and bleach? That's maybe they were. I, who knows? Like I don't even know. Like, what do you do? Could like, have been if, doing if, laundry and they were <laughs> hanging. Like if you're a criminal and you're like, let's go get them, let's get rope and a bleach. What are you planning to do to that person? Because you can't actually bleach someone's skin with like house bleach. So I yeah. mean, like, so it, the whole thing was just foolish. And conservatives, I'm not going to wait to condemn this until like I'm 100% positive. And it's it's also pitch black out, and they, they recognize the guy from the show Empire, you know, which, which <laughs> I couldn't tell you anyone on that show. Um, but so yeah, I think that's that's what conservatives largely do. And but the crazy thing for me is, I, I think you're right that they. The reason why they're afraid is because they know that everyone gets called racist and bigot and everything. Um, but for me, my, my reaction is is on the extreme other end, where it's just, I know you're going to call me that anyway, no matter what I do. So I just don't care at all. I, it, it doesn't mean anything to me to be called racist or homophobe or um, sexist. And that's unfortunate. It should mean something. It, it's, a, it's a horrible thing to actually be racist. There are racist people out there. Terrible to be racist. Um, so it is it's it should be a meaningful accusation it's not anymore and it's not but the way i look at it it's that's not my fault the fact that i don't care that you're calling me that is not my fault it's your fault mm -hmm. for 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 calling everybody that so when you say the word racist i don't know what you're describing you could be describing an actual racist but 9 times out of 10 you're just talking about someone who expressed an opinion you don't like and so i'm supposed to take that seriously now um so for me, it just doesn't. It, I mean, I'm going to be off. honest. Like, I think if you're going to make an argument that we live in a society where racism is rampant, then you're talking about racism towards white people. Because I am telling you, like, and, and I know that's going to be controversial and someone's going to pull that clip and I'll see it on the Internet in a few weeks. But when I look at the society that we live in and I what I do is an exercise where I replace the word black with white right? Or, you know, white with black. So I'll be reading an article on BuzzFeed, like you just see, you know, scrolling through it and it'll pop up on my Twitter feed and it'll say, white people need to shut up. So I'll replace that word and say, mm. I can't imagine an experience as a black person scrolling through my Twitter feed and BuzzFeed writes, black people need to just shut up. That, that is just so racist. I mean, they, and they, yeah. it's okay. 10 things white people need to stop doing. These are real articles, right? I can't imagine turning on my screen and seeing 10 things black people need to stop doing. This would never happen. And yet it's become so permissible to white America for this to happen. Like people don't even acknowledge that this is racism. They say reverse racism can't exist. You're right. It's just racism. It's not reverse. It's just racism. And, you know, to me, the fact that it's that it's become okay is partly because of this this element of white guilt where people are just taking it, white people are just taking it. The bowing, the washing people's, I'm like, honestly, if you're doing it, you deserve it. If you're that much of an idiot that somebody has convinced you that you should be on your knees and <laughs> cleaning somebody's feet, then you're just an idiot, you know what I mean? Like, and there's nothing that really can be done about that. But I think we live in a tremendously racist society towards white people, and yes, there is racism towards black people, there's racism towards Chinese people, but it is overwhelmingly at this point in society towards white people. Yeah, I, I think, uh and you talk about the bowing thing. I mean, that, that video of the, the, the guy going through New York telling random white people to, to get on their knees before him and apologize. Um, and he, that guy was just a troll. I, I think what he did was brilliant, actually. It's hilarious. And he had no trouble finding almost every white person he found would get on their knees. Um, I think anthropologists of the future are going to look at that video to try to figure out. That's going to be a very important video to figure out what the hell happened to this society. But 
I, I think here's here's the issue with with um, you know we call it reverse racism or you know I agree rever- that, that the phrase doesn't make any sense racism yeah. and racism, but kids are are indoctrinated especially in college into this idea that racism um, has nothing to do with really hating someone because of their race. Uh, racism is all about power and. You know, it's, it's something that only the powerful, the systemically powerful in society can be uh, and can can express. And they all automatically have it. Like, it's just if you're white, then you have systemic privilege automatically. And along with that, you have racism. It's just inherent to you. Um, and so if you're indoctrinated into that belief, then you're going to, you know, you're going to think, well, there's nothing wrong with insulting white people. I can't be racist. Yeah. And on top of that, they're all racist. Uh, that's what I was told in college. This is literally what colleges, I mean, you know, this this is what colleges are literally teaching kids, Mm -hmm. that every white person is racist Mm -hmm. and uh, it's impossible to be racist against them. And, you know, you want to talk about failures of conservatives again, the the left, you got far left radicals took over academia, absolutely took it over and are now indoctrinating, not just indoctrinating kids into far left beliefs, but we are paying tens of thousands of dollars to these institutions to brainwash our kids. You're right. And and I'm actually going to repeat a story because I want you to know it, but my audiences have heard this before. But I saw a girl that I nannied for. She's 16 now, and she attends a private school in New York City. Um, and she's conservative. Doesn't tell anybody, obviously. Her family is conservative. And it's one of the most elite schools you can possibly go to. And they pay something something like $60,000 a year. And they have two kids. So $120,000 a year to send your kid to school. On the first day, they're shown their safe space in the school. Um, and they're all required to take what's called a diversity course. And in the diver- diversity course, um, they're encouraged to go around the classroom and tell explain what they, how they know that their skin color is wrong, uh, you know, what their white privilege affords them and how they're going to try to fix it. Now, I'm, again, I play that game where I switch this scenario. That's what I always do in my head. Imagine, I couldn't imagine being a black girl in school and being told to say what's wrong about my skin color and how I'm going to change it. And this happens. And people don't think this is racism. Actually, they think this is, this is, this is diversity. This is tolerance. This is a good thing. You're teaching somebody to think there's something fundamentally wrong with their skin. We have already done this in American society. This is wrong. This is racist. This should not be allowed. I asked her mother, why would you allow this to go on? And she says, well, I just, you know, we just want to keep the peace. We worked really hard to get her in that school. Obviously, to get into the private schools in New York, I don't know if this is everywhere, but you have to go in for interviews, and we just don't want to have any trouble. Well, this Mm -hmm. is why conservatives take it, and leftists would never take it if the shoe was on the other foot. Yeah, they wouldn't. And and it shows you uh, the programming. You know, you have to program a kid uh, to be racist, I, mean, I, I believe that. I think about that quote from Morgan Freeman, the famous quote, I think it was on uh, 60 Minutes, where he was asked, you know, how do you end racism in America? And he said, stop talking about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I, I think it's one of, the, one of the most profound things anyone has said recently about racism, because if I think the natural, especially these days, we live in a very diverse country, most diverse country that's ever existed by far. Um, and many kids grew up like I did, you know, growing up on the East Coast, and, you know, I grew up in a school and there was black, white kids, Hispanic, a lot of, you know, we had a lot of Asian uh, kids as well. Um, and you just don't think anything of it. It's just these are just the kids that you're with and they're your friends and you, you, it doesn't occur to you. You notice the physical differences, but you don't, you don't, you don't attach any value to that or anything. Um, and so if you would just let the kids be and, and, and let them live, 
uh, and let them get along with each other. I, I think things, would, I'm not saying we'd be in a, in a racial utopia where there would be no racism, but we, we could almost live in a country that beats racism. The we first did that ever. in the 90s. I swear yeah. the 90s was the golden decade and everybody was happy in the 90s. It, in a lot of ways, yeah. I just remember the 90s being like amazing and everybody was cool and overalls and it was like Fresh Prince and like- Best music. Too. Best music. Like the 90s was the golden decade and we didn't realize we were in it. And then suddenly technology took off and the boy band started in the early 2000s and every, everything everything went downhill from there. And the internet, yeah. The, the, inter the internet, that's exactly that, that's, right. I, I, you know, obviously you're exaggerating slightly, I think, but um, there is a lot, there's, at least in my experience, there's a lot of truth to that just when it comes to the racism issue, because when I was a kid, and it's not like I grew up in Beverly Hills, you know, I, I grew up just a working class type of place, but it just wasn't, it didn't come up. We didn't have any of this stuff. Yeah, uh, no, I was being serious. I right. think the 90s, I just remember everybody getting along. It's like a weird thing. I just remember everybody was chill. Everybody hung out. Nobody really cared about our differences. We weren't learning about why somebody's skin color was wrong. It just was cool in the 90s. And we're not at that place in society anymore. Do you think, and I, I tweeted this a couple, maybe it was last night actually, I don't think that we're in a place where we can reconcile our differences with the left. Uh, no, no, I don't, I don't think we are. I wrote, when I, when I first started the Daily Wire three years ago, um, I wrote an article titled, uh, The United States of America No Longer Exists. And I remember the reception to that article was not positive at all mainly because it was like the second thing I wrote for the, for the site. And people said, who the hell is this guy, you know, coming in here, telling me my country is dead. It was a little bit bleak, I, I admit, but this is one of those areas where I, I hate to say I told you, so. I really do hate to say it, but I, I believe that the United States of America essentially is gone in, in the sense that the United, now America, yeah, in name, it exists. Geographically, it exists. Legally, it sort of exists. Um, although the, the legal end of it is, is, collapsing as well. But the united part, in, in what meaningful way are we united? That's, that's, we could talk about unity and say, oh, we need to get together and be united again. I mean, great, I'm, I'm in favor of that. But when someone says we need to unite, the follow-up question is, around what? What do you want us to unite around? Um, for what reason? You have to have an answer to that. Uh, people don't just unite generally. It's, there's a reason for it. You, you get together for a reason, right? Even in countries. Um, now you look at so what, what, kind of, what kinds of things unite countries? A lot of countries across the world and throughout history, they're united by common um, ancestry and heritage uh, and those sorts of things. We don't, we don't really, we don't, we've never really had that in this country. That's never really been what this country's about. Um, but you know, common language is important. We don't, we don't have that anymore. It's racist to say that an immigrant who comes here should speak the language, can't say that. Uh, common traditions. We don't have that anymore. They're, they're getting rid. They're telling us we can't have Columbus Day. They're getting rid of Thanksgiving Day. Uh, they're taking away all the national holidays that we celebrate together. You know, we know that July Fourth is on the chopping block. Memorial Day is going to be out the window. Um, so we get rid of the holidays. We get rid of our historical st historical heroes. They tear down the monuments of Columbus and everybody else. So none of that unite. We, that's we don't have any common ground there. What's left? Well, now we now we could see. Do we have something deeper? Because the thing that used to unite us as Americans was that this country is founded on a creed, really a religious creed. Uh, it, it is. We're endowed by the creator with inalienable rights and human dignity. That's, that's the creed that this country was founded on. Um, if, if we had that in common, if we all really believed in that, then, then we've, got our, we've got ourselves a country. And we did have that kind of country at one point. 
but people don't believe in that anymore. Mm. And it's true that it's true that the idea of, of equal rights and inherent dignity, we have never fully realized that and applied it as a country. We know that the men who came up with that idea uh, and codified it didn't, didn't apply it to black people and didn't, didn't fully apply it to women. It was a, a, a massive blind spot that they had. Fortunately, we, we defeated that. We got past that. You know, it took, it took time, but we did it. Uh, we did it a lot faster than many countries did, by the way. And now we, we exclude unborn children from it. But even so, if at least on an aspirational level, we all, even if we have our blind spots, and even if they're massive and terrible blind spots, if we just have aspirationally agree that we do have fundamental worth and dignity as humans endowed by a creator, uh, freedom is a good thing, it's something we should fight for and struggle for, if we at least had that, then I think we would be a United States of America. But I think there are a lot of Americans who just don't, who fundamentally don't agree. Mm -hmm. They do not think that we have inherent dignity and worth. They do not think that freedom is all that important, really, which is why they're embracing socialism. Um, they don't believe, they just do not believe, period, in, in inherent equal rights and uh, equality. So then if that's out the window, which I think it is, then what, what left, what is there now? What do we unite around? What, what, I mean, can you name, you get 100 Americans in a room. Are we going to have anything in common? Anything. And if the answer is nothing at all, then we're just a bunch of people that happen to live within mm -hmm. the same borders, which, by the way, are porous and basically non-existent. So, you know, I hate to be bleak. But no, that's... but you're right. I mean, you're right. And I, and I, and I feel the same way. And, that, and that's why, you know, I, I try to just be a voice to fight for what I think is right, because I think we have to get louder on the conservative side. We play it way too safe or way too scared. And it's the reason why the left has been able to unravel so many things that we held dear and so many things um, about the American tradition in what seems like a matter of nanoseconds they did it. Um, and they keep going and they keep going and, and, and we keep sitting down and taking it because the people that have the platform are too afraid to get canceled, right? The people that know it's true. I mean, the amount of celebrities, A-list celebrities that have messaged me on Instagram after seeing a video and said, I think the exact same thing, but I can't say anything. Right. This is how you create a silent majority. Right. But at the same time, they're, they're too afraid to say something because they're going to lose their entire career. Who made those rules? Right. How do we change that? If, if we're not going to be vocal and we're not going to fight because we're all too scared, then we don't we don't really have the right to sit back and say, oh, well, the left is doing is so wrong. You sat there and watched it and allowed them to do it and said and did nothing. Right. That is that is the curse of conservatism. Right. Is everybody is, afra is everybody's afraid. They're playing by the left's rules and the left is playing by none. They're creating rules for the right and then playing by no rules. And that's what that's that's how they win. That's why they keep winning and keep scoring. And we've got now Black Lives Matter Plaza in D.C., which is pointedly absurd. It is a radical group. I agree with you. But there needs to be a better fight on the conservative side. Yeah, that, that's why I, I just I hate the silent majority stuff. When, when conservatives say that, like they're proud of it. I don't even know if it's true anymore. Um, I think I suspect it's not. But if it is, shame on us. Uh, that all this stuff is happening and we're being silent. What the hell are you being silent for? Mm. I have the same experience. Now, they're not A-list celebrities messaging me, but I do get messages from just from people, especially when I'm when I've really stepped in it in, in, as far as most people are concerned. And I'm getting you know attacked for something that I said and, you know, all that that whole thing. Um, I, I'll have the same experience where people will message me privately and say, by the way, I agree with you. Great stuff. It's like, well, thank I appreciate your support, but why not say something? Mm -hmm. I mean, help me out here a little bit. It's it's kind of like you've got someone being attacked by a pitchfork mob and you're hiding in the bushes going, Psst, hey, 
thumbs up. Um, it's great. Thank you again for the moral support. But we need more than that. You need to come out and speak. And I, but I also understand. I, I get that I do this for a living. It's my job mm. to be an opinionated, arrogant, you know, son of a bitch. And <laughs> you don't. You have a real job. And so if you come out, you could lose that real job. And I, I get that. I, yeah. I understand that that's something you have to grapple with. But are we going to fight for our, our country or not? And I also realize that, listen, you know, for someone that's doing what we, what we do for a living, uh, there's, there's no guarantee that this lasts forever. And, you know, it doesn't take much. I mean, you get deplatformed if, if all the – which has happened to some people, and I think it's going to start happening more. So if – the media giants get together and decide, hey, they're going to, you know, you know what, we're going to really shut down Candace Owens. Uh, they could do it, right? Mm -hmm. They could do it. They could do it to me. They could do it to anybody. Um, and, and then, you know, we, so we also have something on the line. And, and, then, and then what are we going to do? Are you going to go and try to get a regular job when you've said all this stuff and it's out Can't there? It. You're poisoned, right? Um, so that's a risk also that you have. So everyone's taking a risk, I guess is my point. You have to be willing to take it. Um, or we can just give up and say, there's no point, we've lost, move out into the wilderness and, you know, try to live our own lives. I mean, that's not a crazy option either. I'd, I'd be open to listening to, to an option like that. I think it's, there might be something to be said for that. I, but, hey, I tweeted yesterday, I mean, a leftist secession when, when they started the, uh, what was it, what are they calling it? The Seattle? The Chaz. Yeah, what is it? What is the, the autonomous, autonomous something? Zone, yeah. Autonomous zone. That's correct. And you know, Trump came out and instantly said, "This is not allowed." And I, and I thought to myself, "Well, why not? Right? Why don't you make it formal? Why don't you allow them to secede from a union? Why don't you allow them to create their own little TP town where they can have no guns? Right? <laughs> no, yeah. no, no guns, no police, no, no army, no whatever, no, nobody straight, nobody white. No, I mean, whatever it is that they want. And I just thought, what an incredible experiment that would be." Right to say, you know what, you are released. Right, you, you you know what, you guys take Oregon, Washington, home of Antifa, take California. I mean, like wh whatever, pick the pick the nice state with the weather that you've already ruined. It would be an incredible experiment, right? <laughs> incredible this experiment to say the West Coast is yours. Yeah, or or uh, and I'd be fine giving them California, but Me too. Um, even though our, our home offices are in California, so I don't know how that's going to work. But I'd have to get a green card or something, I guess, to go over. <laughs> But on a, on, a, on a smaller level, these, these people in the middle of uh, Seattle play acting as survivalists. You know, they're, they're doing the little farming thing. They got topsoil and they're just putting plants like right on top of the soil because I think that's what topsoil means. They're not even digging a hole and putting them in. Um, if they're serious about it, you, there's a lot of wilderness still in America. And I'm dead serious. You, you, you want to start a commune and, and be basically free of government interference. You could do it. Um, and... Go give it a shot. And I, I would totally respect that. I, I would, would absolutely admire it. Right. But what they're doing right now, this is this is not serious. I mean, this you're in the middle of a populated city. The police are allowing it for now. When they decide when they decide to stop allowing it, they're gonna stop allowing it. But um this is an option that anyone conservative or liberal, whatever, uh and maybe that's where we're headed because we talk about not being united and um there's a lot of talk of civil war and things, but I could say that's not. There's not going to be a civil war. No. Um, Only you, one side would have the guns. It would be fair. But, you know, but also there's that. So that's a, that's a problem for them. But also the lines are not clearly geographic. There are some places that we know are liberal cesspools like California, uh, but it's it's not it's not like it was in you know 1861 when you had a pretty clear line you could mm. draw, one side here, one side up there. 
it, it's not like that now. Everyone's kind of mixed together. And I think to have a real civil war, which is not, not something I'd, I'd be cheering for anyway, but you need to have clear geographic lines, which, which we don't have. So that's not going to happen. What is going to happen? And um, I don't know, but maybe one thing will be that people start to just sort of go their own way and set up their own little communities away from each other um, so that they can have the kind of society they want. I think right now that's sort of like the best case scenario for what could happen. Mm -hmm. uh, and if people want to explore that option, I'd be totally in favor of it. Let me ask you, where do you see, um, what do you, where do you see society going or rather post, post Trump society going? Who's president after Trump after this? I just feel like everything just blew up. So where do you go from here? Like you're not going to like, who's going to be president? I, my, my first answer is I don't think it almost doesn't matter. I think we put way too much emphasis on the presidency. That's another mistake Republicans have made. Uh, while the left runs roughshod over the culture, Republicans said, "Well, we'll just we'll just elect Republicans and cut mm. taxes and spread democracy over into you know Middle Eastern villagers." Uh, that's been the plan. It hasn't really worked that well. What we've discovered is that because we've had Republican presidents, you know, over the last thirty years, we've had plenty of Republican presidents. We've had, uh, what, three Republican presidents in my lifetime, uh, four actually, hasn't really mattered. It, it hasn't really made much of a difference. Culturally, it has made zero difference. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of law and policy, it's made maybe a little bit of a difference. The one credit I'll give the Republican Party is that I think they have successfully staved off a real attack on gun rights. So that's, and that's, that's a serious victory, so that's no small thing. But other than that, I mean, we're still killing a million babies a year. Um, and on and on. I mean, L the LGBT lobby is, is still sort of calling the shots when it comes to transgender issues and bathrooms and things. So it doesn't matter who's in the office. Um, so I guess that's my, it doesn't really answer your question, but it, it almost doesn't. Doesn't matter. It's, it's not really the point. We, we've had, we were told, I, you know, I remember running up to 2016. I was a Trump critic. You know, I don't, that's no secret. Um, and, you know, in a lot of ways, I still am, to be honest with you. Not a never Trumper. But what, what I was told was that we got to get Trump in there because otherwise it's going to be the end of American civilization. You know, this is the guy that's going to make America great again and so on. It hasn't made much of a difference to me. I, I, I don't see, it hasn't mattered. You know why? Because the other option didn't happen. It had, it's made a difference because it's stopped. I mean, just, I, I always think of the world if Hillary had gotten into office. Uh, you know, someone who was on board with this agenda, right? So at least we have right now people stopping and fighting and trying to stop this stuff at some level. Right. Stop, it's a, but that's the problem. It's a stop. It's a, yeah, it's a defense. Right. It's, yeah. all, it's all defense. It's and all put, plugging, plugging a leak for, for, you know, putting your finger in the leak mm -hmm. for a few years. Yeah. And then you just go right back to the left running the show. So, I mean, obviously the presidency, it doesn't, doesn't not matter at all. It obviously matters. You're the most powerful man in the world. Um, but I think as conservatives, we need to start thinking much bigger than that, much broader than that, uh, if we want to really have a chance of reclaiming. Culture and education, I always say, is number one. Um, all right. Well, we wrap every episode with allowing you to leave a face message for the world, which means that you get to look into this video camera. And if you could just drop some Matt Walsh knowledge, some dad advice on the world, that's what you're going to do for the next two minutes. Okay. Two minutes? I can't give two minutes. Yeah, you're going to have to. I, I have to do two minutes? I mean, I'm not going to beat you up. Okay, I, I may good. make you wash my feet. Well, that's, that's why I have to do it if I'm not racist. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, ready? Indicator. On your mark, get set, world. I give you Matt Walsh. Okay. The, the one piece of advice I would give, just uh, given the situation right now, 
is that um, if you are protesting and you jump in front of a vehicle, let's say, or you jump in front of a, on top of a cop car and start banging on it, um, you're going to get arrested and you're not a victim. Uh, so if you want to avoid that eventuality, don't jump in front of cars and don't attack police officers. How much time do I have left? <laughs> was, that, was that about 15 seconds? <laughs> 30 seconds exactly. That's all I got. Just, you know, right now, just, that's just one piece of advice because I was, I, was, I, I was watching another video where people jumped in front of a cop car and then they got out and got tackled and they were com screaming that they were being abused by police. And, so your advice is don't be an idiot? Don't be an idiot. Yeah, I guess we could just... Sort of, I tell my kids that all the time. <laughs> Just don't be an idiot. Yeah. There, you, you heard it from Matt Walsh himself. Don't be an idiot. Thank you guys for watching the latest episode of The Candace Owens Show. I hope you guys enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. As many of you guys already know, PragerU is a 501c3 nonprofit organization, which means we need your help to keep all of our content free to the public. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation today. I would really appreciate your support.